0: Hey, it's Mike. Welcome back to Intergalactic, the podcast about the greatest sci fi TV and film of all time. I'm with Clyde. What is up, Clyde? Hey, Mike. Glad to be here. We are talking about Stargate again. It's our essential Stargate series where we cover the most essential episodes of Stargate. Right now, we're covering Stargate SG1. And, listener, if you want to follow along with what we're watching, there'll be a link to the episodes that we're watching in the show notes of the podcast. And we got a list from GateWorld.net. GateWorld is telling us which episodes are essential to get the full story of Stargate SG-1. So today, what are we covering, Clyde?
1: Uh, I think we're covering Marvel's uh, Thor Ragnarok. (laughs) No. Um, We are covering first season's episode, Thor's Hammer.
0: Episode 9, Thor's Hammer. Let's go. All right, this one premiered on Showtime, November 26, 1997. Written by Katherine Powers, directed by Brad Turner. Guest starring, holy shit, Darth Vader himself, James Earl Jones as the voice of Unas. Most impressive. Uh, Galen Gorg as Kendra. Tamsin Kelsey as Gerwin. A lot of fun Norse names here. Mark Gibbon as Thor's holographic answering machine or whatever. We watch this on Amazon Prime. It's a syndication edit and the synopsis of this episode. Teal'c and O'Neill are transported to an underground cage designed by the Asgard to protect an alien world from the gold. Teal cannot escape the labyrinth while his larval gold lives. I still trip up on pronouncing that. Well, I never land in the middle. I'm always I either say gold or <laughs> I can't just
1: I can't just say Gould. It's not as easy as saying Wraith, I know.
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we're only a few seconds in already, our first Stargate Atlantis reference. Thank you, Clyde.
1: I mean, there's there's gonna be a lot. Um I'm curious, Mike,
0: overall, what did you think of this episode? Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. I didn't think it was great, but it was definitely entertaining. Like, knowing what I know after watching Atlantis, and if you're just joining us right now, listeners, Clyde Z, Stargate, OG, he's seen it all many times. I've only seen Atlantis and SGU and a little bit of SG-1, but hardly any. So these episodes are new to me. So like. Knowing what I know about the Asgard from mm-hmm. Atlantis, a lot of what happens in this episode feels like it's set up for like a shocking reveal that mm-hmm. will come later in the show. so I didn't find it all that exciting, but it was still pretty pretty entertaining like I like the mythology building that is done a lot of these early episodes we're watching they're definitely episodic adventures for the most part, but they're also doing a nice job of building out the mythology of yeah. not just of the characters but like of the stargate of the goauld the jaffa about who potentially made the stargates and how all of that points to like this great mystery of the universe which i really like the seeds intentionally being planted in this episode are very intriguing and if i know stargate i know they'll do some cool shit with it down the line as for the story of this episode, it was fine. I mean, I'll talk about it a little more. What would you think?
1: You know, it's interesting. I thought this was a, a an interesting episode. Again, I'm finding that they're, they're finding their way a bit and um, figuring out kind of how do we tell stories, which I can appreciate. But like you said, this is kind of the first time that we're really exposed to the Asgard, right? And this this idea that there's another race out there. And so to me, it's about expanding the mythology. So when we first started, it was like, well, it's just the gold, right? And then it was, okay, well, maybe there's technology. And now we're looking like, there's a is it possible that there's a race that is equally powerful or more powerful, right? To our enemy that we can reach out to? Well, that's fascinating. So that is, it's like, this is the first breadcrumb. The beginning of this, and so I think that's really clever. I'm also fascinated because you know, in our last episode, we 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 talk a little bit about Catherine Powers. For me, in terms of sci-fi, you know, one, let me clarify, I can't do what she what she does, like the, the ability to write a sci-fi episode, like many, many, many critical pieces of of sci-fi that I love. Right, the Star Trek: The Next Generation and and SG One. So I wanted to clarify that I think she's incredibly talented. However, she's also written two of the worst show <laughs> like episodes to me in the history of sci-fi. And so for her to, to to for us to be talking about on the list of episodes you must watch, and for her to bounce back and be like, okay, uh, what's the other one? Uh, it's Code of Honor in TNG, and it's Emancipation oh, no. in this one. Yeah, she wrote both.
0: No, of them. yeah. Oh man. And okay, you said two are the worst. That's definitely like the worst. What's what's the other one?
1: Well, Emancipation is a uh, like episode one, three or four in the, in SG one
0: of SG one. Oh. Yeah, which
1: is basically SG one's version of Code of Honor. So wow, yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> we had to watch this.
0: <laughs> Fuck you, Catherine Powers. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. But it's it's nice to it's nice to be able to say okay, like because I'm big on. Just because you you fall down once or twice, that's not the whole book, right? And I and very generous of you. Well, you know, Mike, we were talking about earlier. We were talking about um another sci-fi series for all mankind, which is written by Ron Moore. Mm-hmm. And I go, sometimes you have to trust the people who are running these shows. Right? You gotta trust them a little bit. Like stay with them for a little bit, they'll figure it out. Like when you know they're good, right? And this is a team where I'm like. Look, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If they want to rock with Catherine Powers, then I should cut her some slack. Okay. So, but overall, I thought it was interesting. I I thought it gave us a sense of this is the background about this conflict that's been going on in the universe far before Mm -hmm. us humans joined into the fight. Like that's the thing. It's fascinating from the fact that like we're brand new into this fight like we're just getting started so we've got to figure out what's the landscape
0: yeah it makes the landscape and everything feel really rich like there's so much to discover and unearth and delve into with this show through the eyes of our sg1 characters right um i think what really succeeded in this episode was the pairing of jack and teal'c where we see jack really show his compassion and friendship and his care towards Teal'c. And this whole plot about how Thor's hammer can kill the gold inside the host really gave the show another chance to display how altruistic the character of Teal'c is, which I, I love Teal'c at this point. Mm-hmm. I like how at the end, the show firmly underlined how these characters have already formed this family unit. To the point where even Daniel Jackson agrees that sacrificing Teal'c to this cave or whatever cannot happen, even if it means a chance to one day um, give up saving Cherie and Skara. So he destroys Thor's hammer to set Teal'c free. Like he, everyone refuses to break up this relatively new family unit, no matter what, right? It's like the show telling us this is more than just a team of soldiers. This is a familial unit that is forming an unbreakable bond while going on some of the greatest adventures any, anyone has ever gone on. And I feel at this point, that's really what this show is about. It's about these characters bonding on these larger-than-life adventures. And as a whole, this episode really sold that idea really well.
1: I agree with you 100%.
0: My question is,
1: did they make the right decision? right because this technology if they could understand this technology right like wouldn't you want one of these in the gate room back in stargate command yeah like come through if you dare <laughs> right like yeah. like they they kind of destroyed every opportunity for them to really get in there
0: and discuss how it works right to to really reverse engineer it a little bit It it seemed kind of like anti-militaristic not to Mm -hmm. try to take this thing home and use it as a defense against the gold but it also seemed kind of pro-militaristic that they blew it up so (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of two things but they also kind of left the door open with the um, uh the gift they that they gave to the the person on this planet and they're like give this to thor if you see him they kind of left the bridge open like if if Thor, whoever it is, whatever it is, can make this anti-gould technology, we want to be friends with him. So maybe he can help us fight the gould or, or help us. Maybe he has another hammer laying around. Um, when I first thought about them blowing this up, I was like, hell yeah, The they're helping out Teal. Teal's my favorite character. Yeah, fuck this hammer shit. I don't really give a shit about Cherie And the show has done nothing to make me care about Skara, really. No but I didn't think about the implications of blowing this up and how it could be a great defense against the gold. Like you could never be, you wouldn't even be afraid of them anymore. Just put it in front of the gate, like you said. And, and if they, if they happen to infect you, you can just walk through this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. That decision.
1: That being said, I think you're right. Like it, it immediately establishes with us, like this is a family. And I, I think you, you're, you're spot on through nine episodes Tilk, you know, who's played by Christopher Judge, is easily one of the most likable, identifiable characters. Indeed. And you've seen Tilk pop in from time to time when you've watched, like, Atlantis. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is when I think about where he is, the character that has been created early in this season, to the character that we see 10 seasons from now in Atlantis, it's largely the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, like he, they nailed the tilt character pretty much from from the word go. Whereas, I think you'll like. I think if you look at even in this episode, the Samantha Carter character, what you know of Samantha Carter is a pretty distant memory from what we're seeing here.
0: Yeah, the episodes I've seen so far of SG one are not the best Carter episodes at all. She's just kind of there, right? She's just kind of there. She's helping the plot move along a little bit, not really displaying who she is or her skills very much. And that was very true in this episode, which was mm-hmm. disappointing, but I'm pretty sure there's some good Carter episodes down the line, hopefully in season one.
1: Yeah, they'll figure it out because what we know is like she's probably the character who we're aware of the most throughout the entire franchise, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I I wanna say that she even had a cameo in SGU from time to time. I think so, yeah. Right? Like it's like she's she becomes probably the most identifiable Stargate character, like in terms of longevity.
0: And she becomes just a badass boss. Sidebar, did you ever watch her show Sanctuary after I all? Did this? not like one episode. Yeah, I wasn't into it, man. I, mm-hmm. I tried to give the first season a shake when it came out, and it looked cool. They kind of did a a good job of making it all like all the backgrounds and all the sets were CGI, okay. and some of the creature effects were were pretty good. But I just couldn't get into it. It didn't have it didn't have the pluck that I was looking for. It was just kind of dark, kind of grim, dark, and just not that great. But I, it, I don't know. It, Look, if you've listened to one of our
1: podcasts before, whether that is the Star Trek Discovery Podcast or any of the other podcasts Mike and I have done before, then what I'm gonna say is not news to you. If you're if you're new to us, then what you need to know about me is when it comes to sci-fi, I'm heavy on the sci, a (laughs) little less on the fi, right? Mm. And what I mean by that is I love my science fiction, a little lighter on the fantasy. And for me, I need a ship. I need a cool ship. And an occasional space battle, and you pretty much have me. And my problem with Sanctuary is you took a character that I love who frequently was sitting in the captain's sheet of a badass ship and you put them on the ground with some fantasy stuff. It took me way too long to get over that, and I just never recovered. It like every time I would see a commercial for it on Sci Fi Network or, or something, I was like, oh, that looks interesting. I should get back into it, and never did.
0: Yeah, now you didn't miss much, I don't think. I will say though Amanda Tapping looked really good with darker hair, um, but that's about it. <laughs> I mean, it. I'm, I'm not. Gonna, she, she's she's a wonderful actress and she's gorgeous. <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> we'll stop there. All right, let's get into this breakdown recap and dive into some more commentary. We kick off with Daniel Jackson leading a meeting, saying that he's been comparing. Norse mythology to that of the Egyptians, and he theorizes that there may be another race of aliens who pose as good gods, who are against the Gould. They may be out there, and they could potentially help humanity. So this is cool. This is like classic Daniel Jackson, right? Always doing the research, building upon things he's he's seen, things he's learned, trying to help the, the Stargate program. Also in the back of his mind, trying to get back to Sheree. How can we help my wife while also keeping humanity safe against the gold? I love that he's an expert on all these vast mythological tales and gods. What I didn't like in this episode, and this happens a lot, and it, it happened in the movie too. Daniel Jackson has been proven right so many times about all this crazy shit and all these theories that he has. Over and over and over again, but no one ever gives him the benefit of the doubt. No. O'Neill, even Carter, uh, of course General Hammond. They're just looking at him like, "Come, on, just come on, man. You and your crazy shit again. Come on, let's do this." They're like, they just look like they're totally doubting him, and he's not even like using too many weird nerdy scientific terms. Like he's explaining his theory pretty easily where anybody could understand it and O'Neill's like oh what this fucking nerd is trying to say let me put it in english is this and it's just like give him a break like does do, does anybody ever give Jan- Daniel Jackson a break on this show eventually
1: i mean to your point i think they just haven't noticed yet how right he is all the time like here's the deal if it's a military decision he's the last person you want to ask okay like if it's athletic or you need somebody to run and jump and do something. He's not typically your guy. Maybe a little bit. Which late. is
0: funny because I bet if he took off his shirt, he'd be pretty jacked.
1: Oh, I imagine he's ripped. But um, but when it comes to the science stuff, right? Like when he like he he's one of those people that he's not guessing. He he mm-hmm. can come sometimes sound a little unsure, but by the time he's telling you something, he's like ninety percent sure he's right right? Which, you know, another Atlantis reference is not like R- Rodney McKay, who is frequently only about 65% right. Like He's in the ballpark, but there's something in there that he missed. Daniel is usually 90% right. It's the context in which he has no, like to him, it's just the science. He's not thinking about the application of the science. He's just like, yeah, there's some gods. He was right, right? Now he doesn't understand like how they actually interact with the old. He's just, he's the science guy.
0: I think what we're getting from Daniel Jackson here is like a complete lack of ego, right? Which is way different than Rodney McKay on Atlantis. Yes. Rodney. A lot of times people will go along with what he says, even if he's only 40% sure of himself because he acts like he knows everything right um, here. Daniel is so humble, even though he kind of does know everything that I guess he doesn't display those leadership qualities right up front where you just kind of want to follow him. Um, Maybe that changes.
1: Well, I mean, look, if you think about the continuum from an ego standpoint, Daniel Jackson and Rodney McKay are a far, far, far cry from SDU's Nicholas Rush, who was all ego and some science, right? Yeah. He, yeah, he Like, the difference is, Daniel's going to give you all the words, and then when you ask all your questions, he's going to explain it to you. Or on the other side of that, you've got Nicholas Rush, who's looking at you like, you do understand that you're too stupid for me to have to sit here and explain this to you, right? It's just, why are you even asking questions? Just do what I say. <laughs> and I'm I'm thankful that, you know, Daniel's not like that.
0: Yeah, Rush was like Rodney without the charm or the empathy. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's I like the way you put that
0: so we go on uh jackson believes that the norse god thor was actually an alien and his weapon thor's hammer was alien tech that could help them fight the Gould.
1: i lost my hammer
0: Tilk says he knows of a world that was banned by the Gould, which is called samaria which is represented by a hammer sign he says any jaffa or Gould who go there is never heard from again so we have a mission take the gate to Samaria. Look for the hammer, maybe even find Thor, who might be able to help us fight the Gould. Before they depart, Major Hammond gives SG-1 a box to show friendship to the good aliens they will encounter. So Upon arriving at Samaria, SG-1 encounters a group of people who laugh at them and begin chanting the name Thor as a giant hammer symbol scans each member of SG-1 with a light beam. It zaps Teal'c, uh, he screams in pain. O'Neill tries to push him out of the way of the beam, and they both disappear, leaving Jackson and Carter alone with the Norse-looking weirdos uh, laughing at them at the gate. So O'Neill and Teal'c are now stuck inside a cave where a recording by Thor and the appearance of a Viking tells them that the, the gross worm alien gould in, te- in Teal'c's belly will die if he tries to leave the cave. And, of course, Teal'c will also die if it is killed. Okay, Clyde, I know this is a spoiler, but do we ever get this gross worm out of Teal'c's body in this series? Uh, no. What? I think maybe late. I
1: I, I I, don't I don't think so. I don't mm. think so. You know, not to spoil it. I know they, they, they will experiment with a number of drugs and things like that, but I don't think they actually ever get it out. Interesting. They stopped showing it, which is the reason why I don't remember, because you stopped uh, seeing it yeah, quite a bit.
0: <laughs> and yeah. th- even in, in this episode, we're in episode nine, like for the first few episodes, every time they came out of the gate, they're like being pushed through it and they're all freezing cold mm-hmm. and stuff. At this point, they're kind of somewhat pushed through it. When does it change where they just walk through it? Is that like? something that they do to the gate where it's not so violent when you're crossing it? Or is it just not written in? They just abandon that idea.
1: So they, they abandon it. So what you'll, what we'll start to see is one, the gate travel evolves, particularly from the first season to the second season. Cause right now I believe everything that they're doing is hella expensive. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they start, they start to get to a point where it's much more like, it becomes a lot like what you're used to in Atlantis. Like when you step through, if it's safe, you know, it's safe and you just kind of step through and it's like, Hey, it's just a a wormhole. And they, they stop with the dramatic, like I'm so cold or I I come through and I'm being tossed and thrown across the room. Like all that stops. And it's just becomes like walking through it unless it's a plot device because the gate is upside down or something. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's in a room with no air or something like that. <laughs> yeah, what did you think about the prospect here of the show teaming up or separating the team? Where it's Jackson and Carter on the surface, but it's O'Neill and Teal'c um, stuck in this cave.
1: Well, there's a there's a couple things I really liked about this. One, the fact that the the residents of the planet are chanting. Mm-hmm. Like I love that comfort. Like we haven't seen this before. Every planet that the Gould has has visited is always like people are in fear, and this one like the gate opens and like awesome, it's like we haven't seen one of these in a minute,
0: like yes,
1: <laughs> like that's had, true, like like they were super excited, like man, I was hoping we would get more of these, and we haven't seen one in a while, so let's see what happens, and like everything from what was it I forget her name It's like gal a uh, uh, garwin Garwin comes yeah. over and says. Like you're kind of short for gods, aren't you? Like th- the way they look at them is so without fear that it's amazing, right? It's the first time we see it, so I, I like that. And then to split the team, I think was was incredible because we needed to see them a little differently. And like I said, I don't know that we got a whole lot of the Carter Jackson pairing. But I do think we got a ton out of O'Neill and Tilk. And we're starting to see the the bond that they have really start to solidify. And we're seeing who they are.
0: Who are you?
1: Right? Sometimes I think in in a true ensemble, when it's all four of them, it can be kind of hard. But when you Mm -hmm. put them on their own, and now you don't have access to Daniel Jackson's brain or Samantha Carter's cleverness, like now they're on their own, and you get to really explore who they are as characters.
0: Yeah, this, this was very much more of a Teal'c and O'Neill episode. Mm-hmm. Jackson and Carter are just kind of following the clues to find them. Um, so speaking of that, Jackson and Carter get help from a nice local lady who you mentioned named Gerwin. She takes them to see Kendra, who was once a Gold host. Kendra reveals that she somehow influenced the Gold inside of her to visit Samaria as a way to trick the Gold. Kill it with Thor's hammer and free herself. Daniel and Carter are surprised and heartened to hear that Kendra was able to influence the ghoul while she was possessed, and Daniel hopes that Cherie can be freed the same way with Thor's hammer. I think this has been re- this is repeated that the someone can escape the ghoul or a little bit of the the host survives when the ghoul takes over. We get another reference to that here with this. This lady Kendra, who I thought was a pretty cool character, and I like the way the show kind of explores her her trauma a little bit. She's she's kind of afraid to go back into the cave, and of course she has all this trauma from from being possessed by the ghoul, which is explored a little bit in this episode. Yeah, the cool thing about this character is that she was able to influence the ghoul and trick her, the the ghoul that was inside of her, and. Here's my disparity with that, though. Daniel and Carter like, cool. Maybe Cherie can do that, and maybe we maybe we can expunge the Gould from her. But Kendra also says she was like really trained in a temple to have um, physical and mental discipline to be Mm -hmm. able to do that kind of stuff. So it also leaves a question of, well, maybe Kendra's a special case. You know, maybe Cherie is long, long lost and long gone. Also, I, I still don't care about Shuri, so I know <laughs> this this didn't mean much to me. Um, I w- I was more invested in this character, Kendra, getting over her shit, and uh, and then I then I am in like seeing Shuri uh, freed from the gold.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with you. <laughs> I would definitely agree with you that that I was more interested in Kendra's backstory and and what what that experience was, and then. Somewhat interested in her kind of taking them to the back entrance of this of, of this labyrinth. The Charay plot is, I think you've said this before, it's just losing a lot of
0: steam for me. It's just, it's not the driving motivator. And, you know, I think you maybe, called it. Maybe they would like sometimes cut back to the ghoul that hosts, that has taken over Charay and you see her doing stuff, but then maybe you see her hesitating, you know, like that would leave some seeds for the viewer, not just to remind you of Cherie, but to make you care about her and to like see her struggle. So every time Jackson talks about her or is motivated to do something to help her in, in these one off episodes, it means something. Like it has some emotional heft to it. But that's just not there. It's just not there. Uh it's unfortunate. Um but okay, another spoiler. Tell me this Cherie thing gets wrapped up in season one. No. Oh, shit. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell me it gets wrapped up. Tell me there's like a two part. Like, there's like a cliffhanger finale in season one. And the Sharif thing gets wrapped up in the first episode of season two.
1: <laughs> no, I want to say it's. Um, let me take a look. You're really looking at. Season eight. No, it's not season eight. I, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I think it's like season three. I'm thinking. All right, all right, we'll see. yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, and uh, you know you you asked about tilt the spoiler. there is some stuff that they do with medicine that makes this whole thing a kind of more more interesting, yeah, it's like season three. I don't say we wrap it up, but we get some resolutions some some interest in in Charae, the Sharay plot line um mm-hmm. and then with tilt much later later in the season, there's some stuff that they do that that kind of makes makes this whole symbiote larva thing much, much better. Okay. So they, they can recognize the writers recognize that this was a, a challenging plot device to, to maintain
0: and they, they handle it, handle it well. I think it's season one could be worse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially with this writer. Right. Okay. So, um, okay. So inside the labyrinth, O'Neill and Teal'c realize that they are not alone in the cave they discover that a, a Swamp Thing-style monster named Unas, who is part of the first host race used by the Gould, is alive in the cave. And he's pretty much unkillable. They can knock Unas out for a while with O'Neill's machine gun, but he eventually gets better and continues to pursue them. And he wants to eat them. First, he wants to eat O'Neill. And then he's like, hey, Tilk, join, join me in eating O'Neill. And then Tilk's like, nah, he's my friend. And then Unas is like, cool, I'll just eat both of you. <laughs> and then he's like, your weapons can't kill me. And O'Neill shoots the hell out of him. And it looks like he kills him. But since he has the Gould inside of him, he lives because the machine gun won't kill him. So I was really surprised that this was voiced by James Earl Jones. The design of Unas, along with James Earl Jones' voice, did really give it some heft. Uh, this character was a credible threat even after they shot him. And although not much is done with this character, it is interesting to learn that the gold once bonded with other creatures and not just humans or mm-hmm. Like They're in these monsters, which like, if you wanted to rule the universe, you would probably just take over monsters, right? Because this guy is a lot stronger and, and more dangerous and a human host would be so i wonder why they went to to host humans after that but anyway i thought it was a cool concept and and a pretty good like design and idea for a character
1: yeah i mean i wonder if one reason why it's hard to take over monsters is it's it's one thing to look at you know raw or apophis and go, oh, that's a god. When you see Unas, that's just a monster. Right? Mm-hmm. hard to worship a monster. At the end of the day, it's a monster. Um, you definitely right. don't want to mate with it. Um, don't want to worship it. Don't want to mate with it. and just want to kill it with fire, pretty much. You know, it's really interesting. I kind of want to go back and do some research. Because, you know, this episode was done in, like, 1997. So it's not like James Earl Jones was just getting his start in 1997. He was already solidified at that point as a megastar. What made him want to do the voice of
0: Unas? I'm just, I'm supremely curious. Yeah. That is so strange. I am. I'm looking it up on the Stargate wiki and James Earl Jones's entry here doesn't have anything that tells you why he was on this show. It just kind of tells you who James Earl Jones was. Um, so I don't know. I mean, James Earl Jones is one of those actors. He's kind of like Christopher Walken, where he'll he'll kind of do everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe he needed a boat. <laughs> yeah, but even Walken doesn't do like you know Showtime syndicated shows or whatever. So yeah, maybe yeah maybe he just wanted to buy his kid. A, a car or something. <laughs> I don't I mean,
1: know. If you think about it, though, James Earl Jones is one of the most recognizable voices in all of, of Star or all of sci fi, right? Yeah. Like his voice to me is up there in the categories of voices like uh, Miguel Barrett, right? Like when that voice comes on, you're like, I know who that voice is. Mm hmm. Maybe he's a sci-fi fan, and maybe he was a fan of the, the show and was like, hey, when, when it came across his desk, he was like, yeah, I'd like to
0: participate in that because I like this type of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. I am looking at some of his roles around that time. And I don't know. He was still doing big movies. I mean, he was doing mm-hmm. some TV. I think he just... He just wanted to work. He's just one of those guys who works and works and works, right? Yeah. He he was probably like, you know, if, can I just record this from my house? Because I'm not going to go over there. I'm definitely not going to get in that monster suit. So you get a stunt guy to do that. <laughs> I'm James Earl Jones, damn you. I will do Stargate, but I'm not going to get in the monster suit. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at some, some entries, and it's interesting. Since he was the first established celebrity to appear on the series Sesame Street in 1969 um so you Better. know i'm yeah like it's this isn't him joining in a new show that he probably has some positive feelings about it's not it's not new so
0: yeah and it's not like he's gonna be a recurring character right nah they killed this guy huh, yeah. but I, it, was a, it was I think hiring James Earl jones was a good shortcut to make this guy feel threatening incredible right oh absolutely yeah So nice job. Good job allocating the money to your voice actors in this episode, Stargate. Good job. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes.
0: All right. So uh, Teal'c and O'Neal reach the exit of the cave. They discover that Unas is following him. He's still alive. And in order to kill him, Teal'c is forced to push Unas into the door of the cave, igniting uh, Thor's hammer and killing the the symbiote inside Una, nearly killing Teal'c's gold as well. Carter, Jackson, and Kendra arrive soon afterwards, and in order for Tilk to leave the cave, Daniel takes Tilk's staff weapon and destroys Thor's hammer. Okay, so this is a 90s sci-fi show where we're not going to have any major character deaths or major cast changes. We kind of know that. We kind of get the vibe even when we're watching this now or watching this back in 97. So was there any tension for you that Daniel would not destroy this hammer gate thing. I don't, I I, I was hoping, I think at the time on the
1: first watch, I wondered if they were going to figure out another way out of it. And the one character that I think I wasn't quite sure what they were going to do with was, you know, they weren't killing Richard Dean Anderson. Like that just wasn't going to happen. And so the question was, have they rethought the tilt character? Mm. Right. Have they rethought the tilt character, which could happen. Um, so there was a little bit of tension like it was more of like how are they going to get out of this rather than will they not get out of this if that makes sense like i didn't think they were going to kill tilt it was more like how are they going to get out of this and what clever you know shooting the dang thing probably wasn't my first guess but (laughs) you know yeah i would have jack o'neill answer (laughs)
0: like yeah I was hoping for, like, a more innovative solution, right? Or maybe, like, uh, Kendra would ask Thor or the Valkyries to materialize. Like, the whole promise of Thor, and then we get a mention of the Valkyries riding the wind. And if you know anything about Norse mythology or the MCU. uh, I was going to say, or if you've seen Avengers. (laughs) Yeah. Like that can be some pretty cool imagery, like seeing the Valkyries riding around or like seeing Thor show up. Um, Like I was kind of hoping for that kind of shit, even though I know where this Asgard stuff is going for the most part. Um, But I am interested um, learning the answer as to why the Asgard decide to project themselves this way to humans. I don't know what the answer is, but it is pretty intriguing. Um, I was kind of bummed that we didn't see any Asgard, real Asgard in this episode. Tell me, how long does it take for us to, to see the real Asgard or the real Thor?
1: It's Do you a remember? Little, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it's a little while and I was annoyed. Like I
0: really oh, yeah. kind of looking it up now. So by the time you, you saw them, were you like, oh, this is a cool reveal? Or were you like, okay, this is a, kind of a letdown?
1: No, because when we see them, it kind of makes a little sense. Like, you're like, okay, they they do a good job. Like, it's, how, how do I say this? It's a little bit of a spoiler. But when you think about what we, as people, think aliens look like, right, mm-hmm. most of the time in sci-fi, they never look like that. True, like the little Roswell Grays. Exactly. Well, what they did here was they made the Asgard look a little like that, which then makes you go, oh, that's where that comes from. So again, they're tying in some of our own history into
0: this sci fi that makes it like a little bit more believable. I do like that this show, unlike Star Trek, is very much about us. Dealing with these fantastical situations, you know, it's like, I mean, yeah, they're, they're experts in their field, everybody in SG-1, but they're essentially just modern day humans. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, people who live in a utopia or, you know, have no idea what scarcity is. It's us, right? Right. It's us being thrown into these amazing situations and the show gets to incorporate stuff like the, the theory of the Roswell Gray's are actually a real alien race and the Norse gods that we read about in mythology, well, this is what they really are. Like I like that. And you know, all that stems from the original movie where we got to spin on on Egyptian mythology. And now since we have a show that is essentially going to go on for 10 years, we get to do all these different spins on all these different legends that everyone knows. All right, back to the episode. Before SG1 leaves the planet They leave the, apparently the Sagan Institute made the box that tells people who live in an alien world all about Earth. So they leave that for Kendra to give it to Thor if Thor ever returns to the planet in hopes that they will be able to meet him in the future. (laughs) I don't know know if this is a great idea. What do you think? I I mean, it's always interesting to me because, I mean,
1: in, in real life, when we think about NASA and we think about like... You know, if we ever meet an alien, what do we do? We send out radio waves of popular music from the time period, which was like the 60s. It's it's always like, who's ever in the room who comes up with, this is what our our first hello to an alien race should be like. I just want to be like, did you have friends? Like, do you know how to meet people? (laughs) Right? Like, who came up with this? (laughs) You know, it reminds me of... Of uh, the scene in Armageddon when he was like, "You guys are NASA. You got a whole room full of geniuses just sitting around thinking up stuff, and this is the best you came up with? <laughs> like, come on!" <laughs> and yeah, it's like that's what that box reminded most, me of. It was like, really?
0: <laughs> the most boring and cold info dumps of all info dumps. Here mm-hmm. you are. We're very boring people. Enjoy. <laughs> it's,
1: it's also there's also the sense of like you're really banking a lot on the enemy of my enemy is my friend mm-hmm. right now. The enemy of my enemy might be my enemy. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm not saying you need to go all aggressive, a simple hello, we'd love to meet you. Like that's kind of where you're at. It's it's kind of like, it's, it's like asking somebody for their phone number and not, giving them your life story in that moment, just like, hey, I love to kind of catch up for some coffee sometime. Here's my number, give me a call. Not like, here's my life story, by the way. And then if you're interested, you know, slide in my DMs, like there's a way to do this and a way not to do this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would think like maybe a really nice piece of art from a celebrated artist from Earth, right? Something like that. You know, it doesn't have to be a painting it can be a sculpt, a small sculpture, you know, even a frame drawing something like here's something that means something to us and one of our greatest artisans created it and, and here's a piece of us for you. You know, maybe it even tells a story, not here's an encyclopedia, you know? <laughs> Right. And right are looking at this, like, I'm not reading this. No. All right. So overall. We are where we are here in episode nine. Try to think back to when you're first watching this series. Were you feeling positive about it at this time? I know you said some of the episodes we didn't cover on this podcast were, were pretty big missteps. Um, So how were you feeling around episode nine?
1: I was feeling pretty good. Like I think at this point, I mean the first eight episodes I'm looking back at them now. Like, if we just look at these first eight, it's kind of like, I don't know how you guys got picked up for a second season. I just don't. <laughs> um, but but that's if I look at it like with, with 2023 eyes. When I look at it from the the standpoint of 1997, the truth of the matter is we hadn't really seen anything quite like this. Like, this is sci-fi... A little bit of like, you know, a a retelling of history with a science twist to it. It was, I hate to say it, it was kind of groundbreaking. It is Star Trek if the main focus of Star Trek is the four people who beam down to the planet every week. Mm -hmm. Right? Which it never is. (laughs) Right? And and you know Star Trek has this long history of if you're on the wait the away team mission, and you're wearing a red shirt, I hope you sent a letter to your family because you're probably not coming back. Um, this is this is like if the away team mission is the stars of the show, and mm. and you're spending most of your time on the planet, right? The ship is it's not that glamorous; it's a freighter. Right, but what you do on the on the ship. And so I think it's it's they're getting into really good storytelling. And I think each of the pieces of the episodes that we've seen so far have really started to lay the groundwork for who this team is. And at this point, we're just getting into like, man, this team cares about people. This is a team I can trust. Like even we talked about like the Knox, like you're seeing that this is a team. They're a team. And they they're Constantly focused on everybody else. Right. And that's nice to see. That fits into our, what we, what we expect from kind of sci fi. And I think they're now about to get into some kind of really interesting and interesting things. Like I'm looking at the rest of the season and I feel like the rest of the season gets, gets
0: pretty solid. Yeah. Well said. Speaking of the rest of the season, the next episode we're covering is episode 10. The next one, uh, Torment of Tantalus. Tantalus. All right, let me let me check out the synopsis for this one. SG One tracks down oh Catherine Langford. SG One tracks down yeah. Catherine Langford's fiance, who took the first Stargate trip in 1945, and discovers an ancient meeting hall that may hold the secrets of the universe itself. Sweet. So we got Catherine Langford, the character back from the movie, um, yeah. the little girl who discovered the Stargate with her her father. And, um, let's see who else is in this. Oh, Paul McGillan guest stars. Didn't he play the doctor on Atlantis? Yeah, he did. That's cool. I don't think he mm. plays a doctor here, but, but yeah, no. he's in it. What do you remember about this episode? Oh, I remember this episode very well.
1: Um, it's, um, it's, it's a good episode. <laughs> It's a good episode. Like it's, it's one of those things where you need it, right? Is it an exciting episode? There are no space battles in this episode, Mm -hmm. right? It's much more like watching this episode is going to help you understand the universe of Stargate a little bit better.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up Thor's hammer, uh, next week, torment of Tantalus, uh, Fun name, uh episode 10 of SG1 season one. All right, Clyde, anything else to say about Thor's Hammer? No, I think it was a, a a good watch.
1: I'm glad we did it and um can't wait to see more from the Asgard. And where can we find you online, Clyde? You can always find me um at Clyde Haynes on X, as long as I'm on there. Um and then if you're looking to kind of hear me talk about other sci-fi, check out uh, the Star Trek Discovery podcast.
0: Find me on Threads and Insta at Mike Moody Garcia. Uh follow the pod there too at Intergalactic Pod. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, etc. Visit intergalacticpod.co for links to everything related to the podcast. Thanks for listening.